Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lippman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. We do welcome you to the latest edition of the Lone Star Podcast. This is Pastor Trey Graham and my friend Rabbi Dove Lipman. And we want to talk about Shabbat on Shabbat this week. I want to talk to our listeners, especially our Christian audience, about the observance of Shabbat. We know one of the Ten Commandments is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And I want to talk to our Christian audience, especially because our Jewish listeners will be more familiar, about the observance, the faithful observance, Shomer Shabbat, as it's called in Hebrew, about remembering the Sabbath day. The whole week, uh, you wait for that uh, opportunity to sit down with your family and sing and connect spiritually and just talk. I have to tell you, Pastor, I I tell people all the time, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Christian, whether you're Muslim, uh, even if you're a person who's not yet a person of faith, just the idea of having time to sit back with your family, no cell phones, no computers, no television, no distractions, and just have that quality time is something which I recommend to everybody. We are going to study this week's Torah portion that comes from Exodus chapters 35 through 40 in a moment, but I will turn our listeners' attention back to Exodus chapter 20 when the Lord gave the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse number 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, Rabbi, talk to us first of all. It's not just a day off of work. It's not just a break. It's a much more holy and spiritual experience than that. Absolutely. Uh, God says very clearly that the purpose uh, is, yes, to remember and, yes, to rest, but it's to make the day holy. It's to connect. It's, it's, for, it's for spiritual elevation. And, and when used properly, it really is that. And it, it's a rest from the previous week but it's also a spiritual uplifting to help you for the upcoming week. And uh, that's the intent of the day. And that's, you know, today it manifests itself in terms of our not having the technology on and, and, you know, using the televisions and the, and the media and everything else. But it's not just refraining from, it's refraining from in order to do. And that's why Sabbath in general uh, is a day of, spirituality, day in the synagogue, but also the meals themselves, uh, both Friday night and during the daytime, uh, become a real focus of family, of spirituality, and real growth. And I want to give a lesson to our Christian audience especially, and I'll ask the rabbi to comment on this thought. Too many Christians often say it is a day of rest, and they take that because they say God created for six days and then the Lord rested. The reason I have a little bit of a trouble with that terminology is that acts as if God was tired. It acts as if God was worn out after all this hard work when he's the creator. 
He is the Almighty. He is El Shaddai. He wasn't tired. So I, I prefer not to use the word God rested. I prefer to use the word God ceased. He stopped. He chose to stop something, not because of he, he was exhausted, but because he wanted to set this pattern for us that we intentionally stop. So, Rabbi, I submit to you, it's not that we need to rest as much as it is we need to intentionally stop. I agree with that uh, fully. Not to say that the rest isn't helpful, and it actually is a custom that there is more, there's a nap on the Sabbath, uh, but certainly not because God needed to rest. And it's, yes, a very clear decision to stop. And when we talk about it as a day to mirror what God did, that means that it's a day for us to make ourselves godly and a day for us to try to connect to God uh, on a spiritual level. So talk through, especially for our Christian audience, give us kind of coming toward sundown on Friday, the evening is coming, and then kind of walk us through the steps of a Shabbat celebration. I'll do that, and I'll do it through the eyes of Israel, because I think that that is even, uh, gives it a more powerful uh, visual. Uh, Israel shuts down, uh, and, and people start getting ready. You'll see people certainly coming home. People are getting into their more fancy clothing and making their way towards the synagogues, uh, usually by foot. Uh, we have prayers where we welcome in the Sabbath. Uh, Pastor, hopefully you'll be there with us. And it's, we, we do a, a very singing-oriented uh, uh, prayer where the, everyone is uh, trying to be spiritually uplifted, includes dancing. Then we make our way home. We come into the home. There are songs that we sing. Uh, in my family, it's very meaningful because we actually sing the opening song, which was composed, the tune was composed by my great-grandfather who was killed in the Holocaust, and we still have the tune that he sang Friday night. And then we sanctify the day, which we call Kiddush, uh, using grape juice or wine. And then we have a special blessing over the bread. Uh, the bread is there to remind us of the manna that God used to give to the double portion on Fridays when the Jews were in the desert. And then we'll start a meal, a meal that has a few courses, a meal that has singing uh, during the courses and between the, uh, the courses, a meal where we talk about the weekly Torah portion, and a meal in which we just talk. And that can mean the kids talking about things that are happening in school. It can mean things that are happening in the country politically. Uh, it can mean sports. It just being there, talking, it could be, as our kids get older, some more serious discussions about philosophy and spirituality, and uh, very often we all have families over, friends over, the children will have friends over, uh, just very, very festive. And then after dessert comes the grace after meals, which we sing together, where we give thanks to God for giving us this meal and giving us these blessings. And like I said, it could go hours at times, depending on the mood and depending on uh, the the people that we have with us, and uh, just, like I said, pure joy, pure enjoyment, uh, recommended highly for everyone. And my wife and I are so honored to be your friends and to be invited into your home, and so the question that I want you to teach our listeners about is, this is something where you invite G friends and neighbors and even non-Jews like me to celebrate with you. Absolutely. Uh, we've had non-Jews over at our home before uh, who wanted to experience what a Shabbat meal uh, was like, and we it's a joy for us uh, to be able to share that. 
And uh, there are times that we might just want to have just our family if we feel that there's a need for some real intimate family time. Uh, or there are times that there could be numerous guests and we have to make extra space and expand our table even more. So depending on the Shabbat, uh, depending on the week, it, it, it varies. But yes, this is one of the things in Israel in particular that happens all over Israel. Families getting together, uh, even people who are less religiously connected have the Friday night dinner. And I, one thing I neglected to mention is that the, we light candles in the home. Usually it's the woman of the home, or the mother, the wife. That adds a certain peace to the home, a certain spirituality that we're reminded of from the candlelight as well. And just a beautiful, beautiful uh, time. And yes, it's one which non-Jews can experience together with, with Jews, and they're always welcome. And I'd like you to address the next morning, what we would call Saturday morning in the daytime, because Shabbat goes from what we say on our calendar is sundown Friday until sundown Saturday. So the evening portion you've described, what about during the daytime portion? So Shabbat morning, we wake up a little bit later than usual. Uh, some people get up earlier and have early prayers. We don't go to the early prayers. So prayers start, let's say, in our synagogue at about 8.20 in the morning. Make our way to synagogue. It's about a two-hour prayer where we also read the weekly portion that we always talk about every week. The Torah scroll was taken out of the Holy Ark that's in the front of the synagogue, and we read it. Uh, it's a prayer filled with song. And then we come home again, and we have our midday, we call it a si'uda, which is the meal. It starts again with Kiddush over the grape juice and wine, again with the hamotzi of the bread, remembering the manna, and then another meal uh, that I, I, I think is often shorter than the nighttime meal, uh, but no less spiritual, and uh, same type of things go on as we talked about on Friday night. And then we have afternoon prayers, either earlier or later. People will nap during the day. Kids will get together with each other. There are Bible study sessions in various places throughout the day. It's time to study with your children, play board games with your children. Again, the whole Saturday as well. No television, no computers, no cell phones. It's all put away. You don't even touch it. And then that leads us towards sundown and the end of Sabbath, where we have a last sort of like a, a less food but another meal. And we have the evening prayers to, and then a ceremony we call Havdalah, where Sabbath ends, uh, we uh, have a special prayer that we say there, and special customs and some singing, and that brings uh, those uh, that full day. Like I said, from Friday night till Saturday night, uh, brings it to an end, and we wish each other Shavuot Tov, which means a good week, and we're ready to start our next week, uh, spiritually recharged by the Sabbath experience. It is a beautiful ceremony, and it's always a treat for me to be invited into the home of my Orthodox Jewish friends, Shomer Shabbat, the observant Jewish friends like Rabbi Lippman and his family. So, Rabbi, thank you for inviting us, and we are honored to be in your house on this Shabbat and getting to discuss the Torah portion with you in person as well as here on the podcast. So let's turn our attention to this week's podcast, and it has two names because it's two portions, Vayakel and Pekude. It comes from Exodus 35 through 40, those chapters. And Rabbi, you taught me that it has two names because it's really two portions back-to-back in one week in order to catch up on the calendar. Explain that. So we follow a lunar calendar when it comes to the Jewish holidays. And uh, in order to do that, uh, and that's where the holidays came out, so that's why Passover, uh, for example, is always in the springtime, and, and Sukkot is in the fall time, that's the Feast of the Tabernacles, and we always 
want it to be in the right seasons, but the lunar calendar doesn't follow the solar calendar, which is the seasons. So we have to do all kinds of things to make up uh, for that. And that's when there's an extra month uh, every few years uh, to make up for that as well. Now, what happens is, in order for us to complete the entire Torah, the entire five books of Moses, at the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles, there are some years where in order to do that, we either have to combine Torah portions together, or when the year, let's say, has an extra month, because we need to fix things for the seasons, we'll separate those portions uh, from each other. So this is one of those examples, Vayakal Bakude, it's the two portions that end the book of Exodus, end the redemption process of stage one. Stage one was leaving Egypt, which happened at the beginning of the book of Exodus, and building the tabernacle, which happens at the end of the book of Exodus. We're still not in the promised land, uh, we're still not in Israel, uh, but it's very much the completion of the redemption process in that now we have a tabernacle where God's presence rests amongst the people in the desert, and uh, and that's why we have this we have this double portion that brings Exodus to an end. So when we talk about Exodus chapters 35 through 40, it picks up, of course, on our previous discussions. The people of Israel were given the very detailed instructions to build the tabernacle, and... The lesson we learned and we discussed over the past weeks is that God does care about the specifics and the small things and the details of our life. Not only does God care about that, but we are to care about that. And so when God gave the very detailed instructions about how to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, now it's the responsibility of the people in this Torah portion to carry out the work. In other words, it's a call to obedience. Absolutely. And you'll notice Throughout the portion, when it says that the people carried out the construction of the tabernacle, it repeats over and over again, as God commanded, as God commanded, as God commanded. This wasn't the people on their own saying, let's try to figure out a a cool, beautiful, exciting way to build the tabernacle according to the way that we would want to see it. They followed every single instruction exactly as God commanded, including all the measurements. And like you say, Pastor, they focus on the detail and God being involved in the details, and it reminds us of that obedience, of that following God's Word over and over again, not veering from that. And the lesson we've been teaching in our church a lot recently is the word Shema, comes from the Shema prayer, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And we've learned that this word Shema doesn't just mean to hear, as in have sound waves on my ears, but hear and obey. And so the people of Israel are supposed to shema the instructions of the tabernacle construction and then carry it out. So there is still this idea of hearing and obeying. Absolutely. And it's it's such a mistake. I'm so happy to hear that you're teaching it that way, to see shema as just listening. It's listening and then carrying it out. And it's amazing that the Bible takes the time to repeat everything again uh, we had all the commands in earlier portions, and it could just say the people built the tabernacle. Why did it go into all the details of how they built uh, the tabernacle? Uh, again, to show us that the details are important and how much God values what the people did, that it's all repeated and given such detail. And it should inspire all of us, number one, to recognize God's focus on the details and the God is involved in the details, but also to recognize how much it's appreciated 
when we carry out the Word of God. Like God repeats it all again just to show us how the people carried it out. It shows the appreciation. It shows the relationship that it goes two ways, and it shows what's necessary to bring God's presence into our midst. And a gentleman that's in this week's Torah portion, we talked about him in last week's Torah portion, Bezalel, the man that was given the charge to be the chief constructor and designer of the Mishkan, the tabernacle. And Moses said to the sons of Israel what God said earlier. Moses said about Bezalel that God has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all craftsmanship. So it's another reminder that God gives specific talents to specific people for specific purposes at specific times to carry out his kingdom work. Exactly. And, and we can't on our own think of what do we think is necessary to bring God. It's God who's telling us. Uh, very often you'll have people who will say, this is this. Again, you can personalize religion and, and focus on things that, are, that speak more to you. But the initiator, the one who teaches us what's necessary, is God. It's not human beings who rise up and say, we have this idea which can lead to spirituality, but it starts with God and God commanding us and God telling us what needs to be done, even if we don't understand it, and then carrying out what God has asked us to do. We said one of the themes of this Torah portion is obedience, hearing God's instructions to build the Mishkan and then doing it. I think another theme is the idea of sacrifice. We've already talked about this in previous discussions. It was made of the most beautiful materials, gold and silver and bronze and precious metals and and fine fabrics and linens. There was a financial sacrifice that was expected of the people of Israel. In other words, they were able to give offerings to the Lord to build the Lord's house, his dwelling place. So obedience often leads us to a willingness to sacrifice. Absolutely. I think the moment that you have that obedience and the moment that you realize the spirituality that it brings, that then inspires one uh, to really give, inspires one to uh, give of themselves, both physically, uh, monetarily, of their time, and that's very much the connection that we see. There's a tabernacle, there's the inspiration, there's the growth, and then there's the sacrifice. For sure, a critical component. Even today, Pastor, when we don't have a temple and we don't have the actual sacrifices, uh, there, there are still ways that people can uh, sacrifice. Um, that's giving the time to your synagogue and your church. That's giving from money that you're blessed with. That's giving from talents that you have, just like Bezalel did. Those are all ways that we give of ourselves. Those are all sacrifices that, that God appreciates in the time that we don't have a temple to be able to uh, bring actual sacrifice. In previous discussions, we've talked about the different furniture items within the tabernacle, like the table of showbread and the altar of incense, and the most famous one called the Ark of the Covenant. If we look at Exodus chapter 37, it says that Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia wood. That's verse 1. Verse 2 says he overlaid it with pure gold inside and out. And then I want you to teach teach us about the cherubim. These are angels. Verse 7 of Exodus 37, he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. And cherubim is plural. So one cherub was at one end, one cherub at the other end. Verse 9 says they had their spring, their wings spread upward covering the mercy seat with their wings their faces toward each other their faces were toward the mercy seat so teach us what the significance of the two angels the cherubim here on the top of the ark of the covenant 
Very interesting. According to our tradition, the faces of the cherubim at Hebrew Kruvim were children. And it represents the innocence of children. It represents the pure spiritual element, uh, which we're supposed to strive for. And according to our tradition, when the people of Israel were acting the way they should, were supposed to act, the cherubim were facing one another and an embrace. Uh, and when, when they were not, uh, they would actually turn away from each other and sort of reflecting, you know, when we pull away from each other, we pull away from God, everything, everything falls apart. But when, when we're focusing on God, when we're doing what's right, uh, it also leads to, you know, a bringing together of, of the people and, and, and a love. And it, it reflects on a physical manner uh, the spiritual uh, relationship that we have with God. But most importantly, like I said before, it's that innocence and the, and the, the purity. You, know, you think about a child born into the world, that soul is just pure holiness and sadly, we taint that. And uh, the goal of the tabernacle, the goal of the ark, the goal of spirituality is to bring us back to a point where the purity is there and we don't have that uh, spiritual contamination. Does Christianity have anything to say about those, those cherubim? They are reflecting the glory of God. They are demonstrating worship of God, but also they are on top of the mercy seat. And we believe that God offers mercy to those who repent of sin. We believe it's the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus that give us forgiveness of our sin. And so they are welcoming us into God's presence and demonstrating what worship looks like, what experiencing the glory of God looks like. And we believe that Mercy is all that we need in order to meet God. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his forgiveness. And so these angels get to be in the presence of God, constantly worshiping. And we believe because of the grace of God and the mercy of God, we get to be in his presence and worship him. And we know that inside the ark, we believe, was a bowl of manna. And it was a representation of God's constant teaching uh, and provision, daily bread in the wilderness. We know that the tablets of Moses that we talked about in the previous Torah portion were inside of that, and that's a representation of the covenant of God and the commandments of God. And all of these things, we believe, point us to the fact that we cannot do this on our own. Even the rod of Aaron, we are taught, is inside of there, and it's showing us that God provided at all times, even in the wilderness journey. So the Ark of the Covenant has a lot of spiritual meaning for us because it all points us to God's actions of grace and mercy toward us throughout history. Beautiful, beautiful concept, a beautiful idea, and beautiful lesson to learn from the cherubim. Let's talk about the last couple of chapters, 38, 39, and 40. It is the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, but it's also the construction of the priestly garments. And we've talked about this in earlier discussions that the high priest had a very important role and the priests had a role to bring the people to the presence of God. And we call Jesus our high priest who brings us into the presence of God because of his holiness. So talk about the Kohanim, the priests, and their role in this tabernacle worship. So we believe in Judaism that, of course, uh, all people are equal in terms of their capacity uh, to be close to God, 
But there is a hierarchy, and there are people who are born into a family where they are the priests, as we call them. They're the ones who are supposed to serve in the temple and help us connect spiritually. And the special clothing which they wear is to remind us of the fact that they have that holy calling. They were to be supported by the people. They had something called truma, where we uh, had to give them a percentage of our crops and a percentage of our sacrifices. And they were supposed to focus exclusively on spirituality, and they were a vehicle uh, to help bring God into the temple as well. And then there was a high priest uh, who was the only one who would ever go into the Holy of Holies. He would do so on the holiday of Yom Kippur. And he's uh, a person who's to be a, a being of peace, a unifier of the people. And we actually, a big part of our Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement service, a big part of it is actually the service just done by the high priest on Yom Kippur. And it's given in great detail as the people would watch him go through the process of bringing the people uh, their atonement. It's something which we don't have today. Uh, we do have priests uh, in our synagogues today. They're the children of Aaron. Uh, they have a tradition going back to the temple times that they're part of that family. They give special blessings. Uh, they're the ones who are called to the Torah first when we read it, uh, when people are called up to be readers of the Torah. Uh, so they do have certain elements of respect. And we, built, we do have the tradition that when the temple will be rebuilt, they'll be the ones who will go back and serve the people in the temple. I'd like us to focus on the very last few verses of this Torah portion. And it's also the very last few verses of the book of Exodus in chapter 40. It's a topic we've discussed previously in our discussions, the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God. Starting in Exodus 40, verse 34, after the tabernacle has been completed, following all the specific instructions that God gave the people, it says in verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Talk about how cool it is, how spiritually uplifting it is, how holy it is to feel the presence of God all around you. That was the goal uh, of the tabernacle. That was the goal of constructing this building and ultimately having the temple. And, you know, I, I actually have never been blessed to experience a tabernacle or a temple. So we, we are lacking something that we don't even know what we're lacking. But having said that, we try to get close. And certainly in our synagogues, especially at the highest moments like in Yom Kippur, you can feel almost tangibly what that's like. Uh, the end of Yom Kippur, after a day of spending the entire day in synagogue, fasting, focusing only on spirituality, you get a little glimpse of, of what it's like. And it's a moment, my wife and I often talk about it, you just want to bottle up and keep it with you forever because it's clarity. It's clarity about what's right. It's clarity about what's wrong. It's clarity about the recognition of God. And it's a closeness that you feel to God, uh, which you don't want to go away. And that's something which they were blessed to have in the tabernacle at all times, in the temple at all times. And that's part of what we mourn over not having a temple and part of why so much of our prayers are focused on rebuilding of a temple and asking for a temple, because we know that we're lacking that. But even while we're lacking it, we still try to have those moments where we can tap into it and feel on some level uh, what that was like. Rabbi, sometimes I tell our church that the way you can describe what worship is and what entering the glory of the Lord is, is to just say, 
wow, wow. He's bigger than I imagined. He's more beautiful than I imagined. He's more holy than I imagined. Wow. We know from Psalm chapter 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Ne kadma panav betoda. Enter his presence with thanksgiving. And uh, Pastor, we're going to say those words at the beginning of the prayers on Friday night. Uh, that's part of the opening words that we say. And that's part of setting the stage for Shabbat. And Shabbat, and this really brings us full circle, is also viewed as a, a period of time where we can experience basking in God's glory uh, in, that, in that manner. And that's a time instead of a place uh, which gives us that recognition. Rabbi, I'm so looking forward as our listeners are listening to this podcast, you and I will be having dinner together at your Shabbat table. We can't wait to have you and your wife, and, uh, and hopefully you'll be able to share those experiences with everyone back in Texas and everyone who listens uh, to the podcast. And certainly hope that it can inspire people to take time in their lives to have those uh, spiritual moments, both by themselves and especially with their families. Let's all pray that we will experience the Shekinah, the glory of God, that wow experience when we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Let us live that out. We don't have a tabernacle or a temple, but we have a spiritual temple that we can visit, the presence of God. We can still enter his gates and his courts, and we say, thank you, Lord, that you still allow us into your presence. Rabbi, always enjoy the conversation. Shabbat Shalom to you and to your family. Always a pleasure. Shabbat shalom to everyone. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.